Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we. This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for November 9th through 15th, Ether 1 through 5, Rend That Veil of Unbelief. And we are going to be talking all about the brother of Jared and his experience with the stones and seeing Christ. And there's lots of really good lessons I think that we can take from this week's reading. Um, it was one of those, again, those come follow me assignments. So I go into like scriptures that I've read a million times before in my life and I go back in and I read it and I listen to some of the come follow me questions and I think about them. I go out and I find some other materials and all of a sudden the story becomes so much richer and so much more in depth for me thanks to the come follow me assignment that um, again, I'm just really grateful for come follow me. So let's get started. Come follow me. The introduction says, While it is true that God's ways are higher than ours, and we should always submit to his will, he also encourages us to think and act for ourselves. That's one lesson Jared and his brother learned. For example, the idea of traveling to a new land that was choice above all the earth seemed to start in Jared's mind. And the Lord had compassion and promised to grant the request, saying, Thus I will do unto thee, because this long time ye have cried unto me. And when the brother of Jared realized how dark it was inside the barges that would carry them to the promised land, the Lord invited him to suggest a solution, asking a question that we usually ask him, what will ye that I should do? The message seems to be that we shouldn't expect God to command us in all things. We can share with him our own thoughts and ideas, and he will listen and give his confirmation or else counsel us otherwise. Sometimes the only thing separating us from the blessings we seek is our own veil of unbelief, and if we can rend that veil, we may be surprised by what the Lord is willing to do for us. Okay, so all kinds of good stuff there in the introduction. One thing I want to point out is that we always talk about the brother of Jared as the brother of Jared. You know, he had a name. We know it was Mahanrai Moriankamer from Church History, and Why do we not refer to him as that, though? Why do we call him the brother of Jared constantly? I started thinking about that. I did a little research. um, And do you know what was really interesting? Is I couldn't find a reason that, like, made sense to me in any of the church-like publication type stuff. Or even on Book of Mormon Central didn't really have a really good explanation for me for that. Um, But the place that had the explanation that made the most sense to me was Wikipedia. So, you know take this with a grain of salt. But here's what Wikipedia says about why he is the brother of Jared. Here we go. Etymologies have been proposed but remain largely speculative. According to Daniel H. Ludlow, it is not clear why the name of the brother of Jared does not appear in the Book of Mormon. However, the following are possible reasons. The brother of Jared may have omitted his name out of modesty, as John the Beloved did essentially the same thing in the Gospel of John, which he wrote. Two, 
The book of Ether is clearly a family record of Jared, not the brother of Jared. We see that in Ether 1. It's actually the only place in the entire Book of Mormon that has that chronology of family lines. And we see that a lot in the Bible, but this is the only place in the Book of Mormon where it happens. So we have the chronology of family lines. That's me talking. Now going back into Wikipedia. Ether, the final writer and perhaps the abridger of the record, was a descendant of Jared and might naturally have emphasized the achievements of his direct ancestor rather than the brother of his ancestor. Okay, pause Wikipedia, going back into Lexi now. So you're remembering Moroni is the one who's actually compiling all these records and he's putting together the most important parts for us. So it sounds to me like Jared was kind of like the leader, like the head guy, the president. He was in charge of everything, and he went off and he made the decisions for the people. Whereas Jared, or I guess I should say the brother of Jared, guys, I'm probably going to make that mistake a lot. So if I say Jared and it's in the wrong context, just know I'm talking about the brother of Jared, okay? So the brother of Jared, he was like the spiritual leader, and he was the one who talked to the Lord and had these spiritual experiences. So to me, if you had a plates that were like full of the story of this people, and a lot of it was Jared going out and being amazing and leader and all that stuff like that, but you had to clip out the part that was most important for the people in the future, I would clip out the brother of Jared stuff too. So maybe in the actual, you know, dialogue of the plates, Jared plays a huge part in it. And the brother of Jared's part is very small, but brother of Jared is actually what we have. So that would be kind of like, I guess, my guess. Okay. Going on with um, Wikipedia's theories. Moroni may have omitted the name in his abridgment because of the difficulty in translating the name into the Nephite language. Possible. Because again, we know that the people of Ether, I say the people of Ether, we know that the Jaredites had a different language than what the Nephites had. And that even goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, where their language wasn't confounded like everybody else's was. So there could have been an an issue with that. Okay, going back to Wikipedia. In the Roman practice of Damato Memore, I don't know if I'm saying that right, names were intentionally removed from the record. Egyptian factions also wiped out names and statues of heretical rivals. In Ether 11, 17 through 18, a direct descendant of the brother of Jared and rival king is also not named. So there could be some kind of reason that his name was, you know, intentionally removed. We don't know. So interesting thought. I tend to think that it's the second idea, that this is the family record of Jared and of Jared's um, story, and brother of Jared is a side trail, but the side trail is actually what we have. You know, I think that there was somewhere, maybe in 4th Nephi it was, where Mormon made the comment that he had only written down 100th of what was on the plates when he did his abridgment. Okay, I figured out where he says it. It is in Words of Mormon. So I was way off. I said 4th Nephi. It's actually in Words of Mormon 1, and it's verse 5. He says, Wherefore I choose these things to finish my record upon them, which remainder of my record I shall take from the plates of Nephi, and I cannot write the hundredth part of the things of my people. So that's where Mormon tells us that we don't even get a hundredth. We don't even get one percent of the plates that he was taking from. So he really did abridge a ton of stuff. Um, He took a ton of stuff out and we have like the very, very basics of what we need to know from this people. 
So that kind of tells you a little bit of like everything that we're missing, but I am so, so grateful for that hundredth percent that we have, um, hundredth percent, that one percent that we have of the, the hundredth part, I guess you could say. So, um, that's where that one came from. And if you think about that, that's like 1% of what he had to work with. So I'm assuming that Moroni also had a very large amount. So think about it sitting down. You've got a favorite movie or you've got a favorite book, but you only get 1% of that. That's like literally what we have. We have not even enough for a movie trailer of, you know, which is the Book of Mormon. is not even enough for a movie trailer of all the works that Mormon and Moroni had when they compiled this. Does that make sense? So there really are a whole lot more records out there. We just have the 1% of it. But yeah, like that kind of blows my mind. So that would make sense to me why if the record of the people of Jared was all about Jared, we have the brother of Jared's little sliver. We call him the brother of Jared. Okay. Interesting, huh? Okay. First section, income, follow me. As I cry unto the Lord, he will have compassion on me. So in Ether 1, 33 through 43, it tells of the three prayers of the brother of Jared. And what do you learn from the Lord's response to each of these prayers? Okay, so the three prayers that we see is the first one is brother of Jared cried to the Lord to not have his family or at least him and his brothers language confounded. Okay, after the Lord grants that request, brother of Jared again cries to the Lord to not have his friends and their family's language confounded. Third prayer is brother of Jared asked the Lord where they should go when they leave Babel. And that was a request straight from Jared. So those are the three prayers that he prayed. The thing that was so interesting to me is I went in and I read Ether 1 that just kind of came clear to me this time. I'd never picked up on it before was the three different times that it is mentioned that the Lord had compassion on the brother of Jared. And um, it literally says the word compassion three different times. An example is 35, and it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon Jared. 37, and it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon the friends and their families also. 40, and it came to pass that the Lord did hear the brother of Jared and had compassion upon him. So I knew, I know what compassion means, you know, like, theoretically, I know it means to like have pity for someone and, you know, even empathy for them. But I was like, what exactly? Like word for word, what does compassion mean? So I went and I looked it up from compassion.com. It says to have compassion means to empathize with someone who is suffering and to feel compelled to reduce that suffering. I liked that definition a lot because it not only covered the empathy and the pity that you have for that person, but then it also com- like describes the way that you go in and you relieve that suffering, which is what the Lord did. He said, hey, brother of Jared, I see the issues that you're having. I see the issues that your people are having. I empathize with you. I feel pity for you. Here's what I'm going to do to relieve your suffering. And that's how he had compassion on the brother of Jared. So when we go to the Lord and we have a struggle and we go to him, he has compassion on us. And I have to think, you know, even now after he came to earth in his mortal body and had his mortal experiences, his compassion tends to like swing more towards empathy with us, I think, than sympathy. Perhaps with the brother of Jared, it was more sympathy because he hadn't yet come to earth and had that human experience yet. But I think he has a lot of empathy for us, whatever we're going through. And um, he has that desire to ease our suffering when we come to him. It may not be in the way we want, 
but it may still be little things he can do in there to kind of like strengthen our backs. Like I think of the people of Ammon, um, strengthen our backs so that we don't even feel our burdens, that kind of thing. So compassion was something I was thinking a lot about this week. So then Come Follow Me continues on with, Think about a time when you have experienced the Lord's compassion as you cried unto him in prayer. You may want to record this experience and share it with someone who may need to hear your testimony. Um, and I was thinking a lot about this. I was thinking about the times in my life where I felt his compassion. And most of the time, I think I feel it as his patience with me, um, that I tend to get really worked up about stuff that's maybe not that big of a deal, and he still has compassion. I'm like, in the overall grand arching scheme of things, whatever I'm upset about at that moment probably is not that big of a deal. But because he loves me, he has compassion upon me. And so I've seen that in the times in my life, specifically, I was thinking about the times in my life where I have been undiagnosed with health stuff. Like I knew something was wrong and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. It's happened twice in my life. And it is one of the most frustrating, helpless feeling experiences because the tests keep coming back normal and normal and normal and you know something is wrong. And you go from doctor's appointment to doctor appointment to doctor appointment and they all think everything's normal, but you know something is wrong. And through that time, there were so many priesthood blessings. There were so many prayers where I felt my heavenly father there with me and saying, I know you are frustrated right now. And I know that this is like a mystery in your life and that you don't know the answer and you can't know the answer like right at this moment, but I'm here with you and my compassion is here with you. I'm holding your hand while you are walking through this dark space where you have no answers. And that was one of the ways that I saw his compassion. I also see his compassion when I'm dealing with issues of mental illness. Um, you know, again, because whatever is right before me at that time is not that big of a deal, but my body is screaming at me that it is a huge deal. And so I'm screaming at my father in heaven saying, this is a really big deal and I need your help. And he has compassion upon me at that moment to say, I know what you're feeling. And even though it's really not that big of a deal, I empathize with you with the the feelings that you are going through at this point. Um, I've seen it a lot when I've suffered from low self-esteem and, you know, Father, I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about anything about myself. And him just showering me with his love and saying, you may not see the good, but I see the good in you. And just feeling his overwhelming love for me is his compassion towards me in those moments. So those are just some of the experiences where I felt him in my life. I am so lucky, I think, that I have always felt his love and his compassion in my life, no matter what I was going through. Um, that is a tremendous gift to me. I don't know if that's something that everybody has, but to me, it is a blessing in my life. So I counted a blessing that I always felt his love for me. So that was how I kind of felt to share with you guys about how I felt the Lord's compassion in my life. So the next section is, I can receive revelation for my life. And it starts off with a quote from President Russell M. Nelson. And it says, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Choose to do the spiritual work required to enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost and hear the voice of the Spirit more frequently and more clearly. And it says, as you study Ether 2 and 3, 1 through 6 and 4, 7 through 15, what truths do you find that help you understand how to seek personal revelation? 
Well, one of the scriptures that stood out to me was in Ether 2, is Ether 2, 14. It says, And it came to pass at the end of four years that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared and stood in a cloud and talked with him. And that phrase, talked with him, stuck out to me because sometimes I think my prayers are a one-sided conversation. Like, I'm talking at the Lord instead of talking with him. And that phrase, talking with him, reminded me, hey, Lexi, your prayers don't need to be one-sided. We need to have a two-way conversation here. Like, I need to do more listening than talking, I think, than what is currently going on in my prayers. So I started thinking about that. And then it continues in 14. Over the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared, and he chastened him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. That also made me feel better about things because it seems like uh, the brother of Jared had forgot to pray for about four years. So if you are ever really tired and you forget to pray, or maybe your prayers aren't like, you know, up to snuff, um, the brother of Jared forgot to pray for four years. So he still was okay with the Lord in in the end, you know, once he figured out that he'd made a boo-boo. So I think you'll be okay too. But um, that was one of the things where the Lord chastened him. And he came unto the Lord. So when the Lord comes to us and says, hey, you're doing this thing that's not so good, it's not like he's saying, you're doing this thing that's not so good, and I never want to have anything to do with you ever again. He's saying, you're doing this thing that's not so good, now come back to me. And I was like, that's a really beautiful sentiment too. Then over the course of the next several verses, it describes Jared praying to the Lord. And whenever it describes him praying to the Lord, it says, Jared cried. He cried unto the Lord. So in 18, it came to pass that the brother of Jared cried unto the Lord, 22, and he cried again unto the Lord. And then three, I cried again unto the Lord saying, so crying unto the Lord suggests to me the amount of emotion and the amount of passion that he had behind his prayers. Do you think that that was something he did like while he was walking through the grocery store? I mean, obviously he didn't have a grocery store, but you know, our modern day parallel, could we just like pray as we're walking through the grocery store? Yes. Yes, I believe we can. But that kind of emotional outpouring, can we do that while we're doing other mundane tasks? I don't know that we can. I think to have that kind of emotional outpouring, which I think we need to do fairly regularly with our Heavenly Father, we have to have a special set time where we can pause in whatever it is that we're doing and focus on Him. And that was another instructive lesson to me because I tend to pray when I'm in the car and driving, and I don't necessarily know that I can have that crying, like that emotional crying unto the Lord that the brother of Jared was having while I'm driving. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I need to be wholly focused on the Lord in that moment. And that's when I really feel like the two-way conversations can happen, um, when I'm actually listening to Him. And so, to me, this was instructive that I need to take time out of my day specifically to sit down and talk to the Lord and not just have these side conversations along the way, which I do. And I want to keep having those side conversations all throughout my day because I constantly talk to the Lord and I'm in prayer to him. But I need to have, a, I guess, a more formal sit down probably is, is the way I, I could best phrase that. So the next section in Come Follow Me says, the Lord will prepare me to cross my great deep. And it says, and to get to the promised land, the Jaredites faced a major obstacle, crossing the great deep. The phrase great deep can be fitting way to describe what our trials and challenges sometimes feel like. And sometimes, as was the case for the Jaredites, crossing our own great deep is the only way to fulfill God's will for us. 
Do you see any similarities to your life in Ether 2, 16 through 25? So this is where he's going to the Lord, and he has three questions. The first question is, how do we get across the sea? And the Lord tells them, you build barges like you've been building, but build them tight like unto a dish, you know, so that they're tight, they're airtight, water can't get in. And then the brother of Jared said, well, if, you know, water can't get in, then air can't get in, and we need air and we need light. And the Lord said, okay, so for air, build these little holes in the top of it that can be plugged so that when you're tossed around the waves, the water won't get in. But when you're not, you can open it up and get some air. And then the brother of Jared said, yeah, but what about light? And this is the part where the Lord says, figure it out. It's up to you. And the brother of Jared has to come up with something. Well, going back into Come Follow Me, what Come Follow Me is asking, we're crossing our own great deep. What similarities do we see between what the brother of Jared went through and what we go through? So what I saw in this particular example was that the Lord led the brother of Jared step by step. Like, hey, this familiar thing like a boat that you're used to, build them after the manner of the boats you currently use. But we're also going to do this thing where we put like a top on it and you're going to be able to do it that way. One of the interesting things that I noticed and I came across as I was doing my research for this lesson was that the idea of building a ship tight like unto a dish is not unusual to this culture, and it would not have been unusual to Jared as well. Um, There are some Jewish writings in the Talmud, specifically that address Noah, that say that Noah had a ship that was similar like this, that was tight unto a dish. And they also mention that he had stones that would radiate light there within the ship. This was Noah in the Talmud, that the Hebrew writings that say this. So when the brother of Jared goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, we need light, and the Lord's like, figure it out. Well, the brother of Jared would be the first one to say, well, okay, so I know this about Noah. Maybe we could do the same thing here. But hey, Noah had these shiny like white rocks, and I don't really see anything like shiny white rocks here. So how do I do this? And he had to figure that out. So here's one of the things I learned, because to make these shiny white rocks, it says that he moltened. He uses the word molten, which means that you'll have to heat up something very, very hot. So to be able to heat something up very, very hot and molten these stones out, he had to be able to have bellows to heat the fire up, which this is something that had never occurred to me before. I was thinking like, hey, he built a campfire and dumped like some sand into a pot and like turned the silica into like a glass type thing and then poured it out. But no, for that to actually happen, the fire has to be really, really hot. And for that to happen, there has to be bellows to help make that fire really hot. So I looked up, guys, this is like the crazy train that my mind goes down sometimes. I looked up what primitive bellows must have been like. And specifically, I noticed that they talked a lot about pot bellows, which would be kind of like a round chamber. And then you would put like an animal skin over the top and then you could push down on the animal skin and it would shoot out a little like hole into the fire, which would heat the coals and stuff in the fire to a really hot temperature. So to do this, he would have to make like the little clay pot and he would have to go like kill an animal and skin it and put the animal skin on top and tie it on somehow and then make the little like straw that would go out into the fire so that could shoot the hot air out. And I mean, this took a lot of effort. This wasn't just him going and like, like I thought again in my head, grabbing some sand, putting it in a pot, putting it on the fire and then pouring out the stones. No, he had to work at this. It probably wasn't something that was done in the space of a few hours. Like this may have taken weeks for him to get done. And that was something I had never before realized as well. 
And as I was thinking about that and then similarities in my own life, I remembered the quote from last general conference, not our most recent one, the one before that, and Joy D. Jones's conference talk where she was interviewing the prophet or the kids were interviewing the prophet. And they asked him if it was easy to be the prophet. And he specifically said, no, the Lord loves effort because effort brings rewards that can't come without it. So when we think about the brother of Jared, putting his faith into action, not for just a few hours, but for weeks of hard work to come up with a solution that he thought would be presentable unto the Lord, and he was rewarded for that effort. So when we think about our own lives, you know, I was talking again about the time in my life where I was undiagnosed and one time it turned out to be endometriosis and the second time it turned out to be like a giant thyroid issue um, growth. And both of those times, like I had to expend tremendous amounts of effort researching and going to doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment and praying and searching for answers and, you know, changing diets, eliminating things from my diet, moving different things into my routine, trying to find ways to feel better. There was a tremendous amount of effort, but eventually I got the answers that I sought. But in that process, I learned how to rely on the Lord when those answers that I wanted weren't there. And, you know, I think there's that saying where it's like when one door closes, another one opens. And I always like to add, but sometimes it's heck in the hallways because when you're going between one door that's closed and another door that will open and you're in that dark hallway and you don't know where things are going, it's a really hard time. But that effort that goes into the hallway will be even greater when you open up that door. You'll see the effort and the rewards of your efforts. Um, I think there's been a couple of times lately where I've been talking to friends and they've been kind of stumped because they felt like they were directed down a certain path and then they kind of get to a dead end or something happens and they're like, I don't think that this was quite, quite right and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And I've told, this has happened to two different friends and I've told them both times, You know, I think what this is saying is that the Lord sometimes just needs you to pause because either something else is getting ready for you or there's another piece of information that you need to make this decision. And he just needs you to pause in the hallway for a minute before your door opens. So sometimes when we get those moments where we're like, we're putting all this effort and we're putting all this work into it, but, you know, that fire isn't getting hot enough to molten our stone or whatever, Sometimes we just need another piece of information or another piece of the puzzle to fall into place. And in both of those cases, something else came up and they were able to make a choice that then led to good stuff for them. So if you're experiencing that, know that sometimes you just need to pause in the hallway and wait for the Lord to guide you on a course or give you more information or another puzzle piece to find to find the answer that you're looking for. And that's exactly what happened in both of my health situations where I had that one doctor who started feeling on my neck and was like, do you know you have this giant potato-sized growth in your neck? And I'm like, what? I didn't know that. You know, and that puzzle piece fell into place after that year of like all those diagnostic tests. Or the other doctor that was like, hey, did you know you have like a cyst on your ovary the size of a grapefruit? And that's how they found my endometriosis. You know, stuff that just had been there the whole time and no one had found the right puzzle piece, all of a sudden it clicked and then answers came. So that was one of the things, I know that was like kind of side trail maybe, but it's really what I thought of. Also, 
when I was thinking about all this and brother of Jared making these rocks and how did he know it was going to light up and, you know, the Lord touches them and they do light. Then, of course, my curious mind wants to know, well, what was the light like? Was it like a glow stick where you snap it and it like, you know, kind of glows in the dark for a couple hours? Was it like a solar light where maybe they could put it up on top of the barge and it recharges and they take it back down and then it lights up? And I actually found a really interesting little tidbit um, from Farms, the Farms Research Study. And this is what they've said. They said, Sandia National Laboratories in New Mexico has recently developed radioluminescent lights that invite some interesting comparisons with the Jaredite stones. These radioluminescent lights are made from a highly porous silica matrix, an aerogel, in which a phosphor such as zinc sulfide is dispersed. The radioactive source of the lights is titanium gas, which when incorporated in the aerogel actually becomes chemically bonded to the aerogel matrix. That's a lot of science talk, and I'm not really sure what it means, but it sounds good. Okay, continuing. The radioactivity of the titanium results in beta particles, electrons, striking the phosphor particles and causing them to emit light while not escaping the matrix. Their life except expectancy is about 20 years, and their light is described as being bright and very intense. Even the possibility that the Jaredite stones were created according to similar physical laws should be enough to quiet critics of the Jaredites. Okay, so that to me was really interesting because I always feel like God works miracles, and sometimes I think they are just straight up like supernatural magic. But I feel like a lot of the times when God works miracles, he puts together ingredients in a way that natural laws can make the miracle happen. And in this case, I think it was the brother of Jared, maybe he scooped up just the right spot of sand that had all this physics and stuff in it. And then when the Lord touched it, it was just the right amount of radioactivity that caused these stones. And maybe it was like this stone that they were able to make in this laboratory in New Mexico where the life expectancy of the light was 20 years and it was described as being bright and very intense. So all of a sudden you have a light bulb in your barge that will last for 20 years and is bright and very intense. Like that is definitely solving a problem. And if we can do that now with our very limited knowledge about the natural world, think about someone who created this world, what he could do with it. Someone who knows all the physical laws, all the elements, how they all interact, who created the entire universe. Could he make that happen? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he definitely could. So that to me was just like, I just like learning a little bit about the science behind it. Okay, something else that I learned from the brother of Jared, when he went to the Lord, he had such simple childlike faith. It wasn't Lord, I know you can do this thing and I'm asking you to do this. Or Lord, if you want, you can do this thing. It was like, Lord, you will do this thing. Like he just knew that the Lord would be there for him. He just knew it. Um, Jeffrey R. Holland has a really good quote about this. He says, surely God, as well as the reader, feels something very striking in this childlike innocence and further of this man's faith. Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. Perhaps there is no more powerful single line of faith spoken by man in scripture. It is almost as if he is encouraging God, emboldening him, reassuring him, not, Behold, O Lord, I'm sure that thou canst do this. Not, Behold, O Lord, thou hast done many greater things than this. However uncertain the prophet is about his own ability, he has no uncertainty about God's power. 
There is nothing here but a single, clear, bold, and assertive declaration with no hint of element or vacillation. It is encouragement to him who needs no encouragement, but who surely must have been touched by it. Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. And then come follow me asks, how has the Lord prepared you for your challenges? So when I look at the brother of Jared's example and look at my own life, I see that the Lord leads me step by step through the processes I need to go. Like the brother of Jared had to go and like figure out how to build the bellows and build the pot and then build the animal skin on top of it and build the fire, find this right like mix of silica or whatever to melt over the fire. And, you know, he had to go step by step. The Lord does the same thing with me, step by step by step by step. And here a little, there a little is kind of how I think of it. And then also he expects me to put in the effort. He expects me to put in the time and the willpower to get whatever it is that I want to get done. Sometimes there are just straight up miracles that just appear and I'm like, what? This was amazing. But most of the time it's, you know, plodding along and getting it done day after day. And that's how my prayers are answered. So what might he be asking you to do now to prepare what for what he needs you to do in the future? Um, so for this, I was thinking about recently kind of like my therapeutical journey, I guess you could say. Um, I'm working with a therapist. She's, I say she's a new therapist, but really she's been my therapist for the past year. And I've seen other therapists throughout my life and they've been great and they've really helped me. But this therapist has a different background. And so we are going on a completely different trek, I guess, through some of the stuff that I've been through in my past than I ever have before. And I'm not really ready to discuss a lot of it in detail, so I'm not going to go into depth on it. But there's lots of different techniques and there's lots of different um, behavioral therapies that we're using this time that I have never used before. And I feel like that is the Lord telling me to get stable and get ready because I have more for you. And I'm giving you these tools. I'm giving you the ability to make your own little bellows, to make your own little fire hotter so that you can make stones that will light somebody else's way. And you will find light for your own path as you walk along this path I've set for you and do the things that I see that you need to do to be healthy and well. And so that's really what I'm seeing is him saying, get yourself okay. And step by step, we're going to get better and you're going to get better and you're going to be able to help others through what you've been through. And so that's really what I'm focusing on right now. Um, continuing on with Come Follow Me, I want to skip the section that says I'm created in God's image because we are and that's amazing. But I really want to talk about was the brother of Jared the first person to see the Lord? And it says God had shown himself to other prophets before the brother of Jared, for example, in Moses. So why did the Lord say to him, never have I showed myself unto man? And then it gives you an Elder Jeffrey R. Holland quote. Well, I went back in and looked at the Jeffrey R. Holland quote, and it's actually longer. And I really liked the quote that the longer version of the quote, because it gives you six possible reasons as to why he and the Lord would maybe say that to the brother of Jared. So here we go. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland discussed six possible explanations for Jesus's statement that he had never shown himself to man prior to showing himself to the brother of Jared. Number one, one possibility is that this is simply a comment made in the context of one dispensation and as such applies only to the people of Jared and the Jaredite prophets. That Jehovah had never before revealed himself to one of their, being the Jaredites, seers and revelators. Two, 
Another suggestion is that the reference to man is the key to this passage, suggesting that the Lord had never revealed himself to the unsanctified, to the non-believer, to the temporal, earthly, natural man. The implication is that only those who have put off the natural man and are sanctified, such as Adam, Enoch, and now the brother of Jared, were entitled to this privilege. 3. Some believe that the Lord meant he had never before revealed himself to man in this degree or in that extent. The theory suggests that divine appearances to earlier prophets had not been with the same fullness, that never before the veil had been lifted to give such a complete revelation of Christ's nature and being. Fourth, a further possibility is that this is the first time Jehovah had appeared and identified himself as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with the interpretation of the passage being, Never have I showed myself as Jesus Christ unto man whom I have created. That possibility is reinforced by one reading of Moroni's later editorial comment, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil, therefore he saw Jesus. 5. Yet another interpretation of this passage is the faith of the brother of Jared was so great, he saw not only the spirit finger and body of the pre-mortal Jesus, which presumably many other prophets had seen, but also some distinctly more revealing aspect of Christ's body of flesh, blood, and bone. Six, a final explanation, and this is the one they use in Come Follow Me, and in terms of the brother of Jared's faith, the most persuasive one is that Christ was saying to the brother of Jared, never have I shown myself unto man in this manner without my volition, driven solely by the faith of the beholder. As a rule, prophets are invited into the presence of the Lord, are bidden to enter his presence by him and only with his sanction. The brother of Jared, on the other hand, seems to have thrust himself through the veil, not as an unwelcome guest, but perhaps technically as an uninvited one. Said Jehovah, Never has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast, for were it not so, you could not have seen my finger. Never has man believed in me as thou hast. Obviously, the Lord himself was linking unprecedented faith with this unprecedented vision. If the vision itself was not unique, then it had to be the faith and how the vision was obtained that was so unparalleled. The only way that faith could be so remarkable was its ability to take the prophet uninvited where others had only been able to go with God's bidding. And that's from Christ in the New Covenant by Jeffrey R. Holland. So I love that. I love all those possibilities because I think that the truth always lies within like a mix of those. Like possibly all of those could be true, you know? And I think specifically that last option that Come Follow Me mentions that his faith was so great in his Savior, literally who would be his Savior, touching those stones and saving his people as they went across the, the sea, that he uninvited was into the presence of the Lord. Um, and the Lord didn't mind, I'm sure, but he, he, you know, it's just kind of uninvited is kind of a funny word because it has a negative context. I think this was maybe more unexpected, I guess could possibly be it. But, um, anyways, I really liked what Jeffrey R. Holland had to say about that. So as you guys go throughout your week this week, I want you to think about the brother of Jared with his bellows and his fire and his silica mix molting out those stones and how long it took him to do that. And remember, whatever you're going through, whatever path you're on that you are struggling with or whatever answers you're not getting, it takes time sometimes, but it always comes. Prayers are always answered, sometimes not in the way we think, but they are always answered. I'll leave that with you guys. 
I love you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 